0: You're listening to episode number 85 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, which is sponsored by Health IQ, who can help you get special rates on your life insurance. How? It's pretty easy. Just go ride your bike. That's it yeah that's it health iq knows that healthy people have fewer risk factors than the general population and they work with insurance companies to help get you a lower rate on your life insurance policy to help support the show or to get your free rate quote check out healthiqcom iq.com tailwind coaching for a little bit more information and now let's get on with the show Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. From Joes to pros, we've got the tools to make your cycling goals a reality. And now here's your host, Coach Rob Manning. All right, guys, welcome to episode number 85 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. I am your host, Coach Rob, and I've got a great show for you today where we're going to discuss effective endurance training. First, I want to give a couple of quick announcements here. Website, the Tailwind Coaching blog, and my online training plan store are all available at tailwind-coaching.com. To make sure you don't miss anything new, to get quick updates on information on the website, a couple of occasional training tips, tricks, or the occasional discount code delivered right to your inbox, Head on over to Tailwind Coaching Newsletter and sign up at tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up. Don't forget to share it with your friends so you can get that out there to them as well. If you need to get a hold of me, you have a question for me, you have a question about the podcast, you can contact me at coachrobdc at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on social media by heading over to the Tailwind Coaching website and look for the About option in the menu on the upper left-hand corner. And I do ask you, if you do enjoy the podcast, please head on over to this podcast on iTunes and rate it five stars. Helps me move up the ranks. It helps me reach more people. And of course, the more people that get to listen to this, the more people get to enjoy riding their bike a little bit more. And that's what it's really all about. That's why this podcast exists, is to help you get a little bit more enjoyment out of riding your bike, because riding a little bit faster is just a little bit more fun, right? And if you do enjoy the podcast and you want to give back a little bit, consider doing your Amazon shopping through one of my affiliate links. Really, it costs you nothing, and each purchase contributes a few pennies to the support of the show, you know, hosting, bandwidth costs, things like that. And of course, long-time listeners will know, the discount code of PODCAST10 will take 10% off any of my training plans in my online store, so if you're looking for a training plan for one of your major season goals, head on over there, take a look, and take 10% off with that code. So, that being said... Let's get to the meat of today's show, which is effective endurance training or how to use endurance training effectively. Now, this should seem like a no-brainer, right? If you're you know in the middle of a base phase, you're doing endurance training. And how hard can endurance training be? It's got to be pretty simple, right? You're I mean, you're you're really just going out and doing some long miles and some zone two work and some zone three and some zone three plus work, and that's about it, right? You're just trying to build that aerobic base. You're trying to ensure that your aerobic decoupling numbers are good when it comes time to start doing some kind of interval training. Well, yeah, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Endurance training endurance training is really a very specific tool in your training arsenal. Sure, it can be as simple as going out and riding a lot of longer zone two miles. It can be as simple as two by 20 minute muscular endurance intervals at sweet spot. But with a little bit of forethought, you can actually make more out of your endurance training time and your base phase training time than you possibly thought you could in the past. And today I'm going to show you how to do that right? So let's get right to it. How is endurance training more effective? How can you make endurance training more effective? So to start off, endurance training can be made even more effective by combining it properly with other kinds of training. And of course, endurance training itself is the perfect complement to base phase or off-season strength training, right? So if your base training program involves a strength training component, endurance training is actually the perfect foil to strength training. And there's a couple of specific reasons for that. The main reason is because endurance training is simply less physiologically demanding than similar amounts of strength-based work. Right? Endurance training is significantly easier on the body. There's less training stress applied during a workout. So for the same amount of time that you're working out, you can kind of cut your training stress by a factor of almost 50% compared to a really higher intensity workout. And something to really bear in mind here, and that a lot of people tend to forget, and a lot of people that I've been in contact with over this past off-season, this base phase, a lot of people are forgetting that training stress is stress, and stress Is stress, right? It doesn't matter. Your body can't differentiate between the difference between training stress and between the stress of your job, the stress of your family time, the stress of having to go pick up the kids, of having to pay the bills. Um, Stress levels on your body will take their toll. The higher the stress, the harder it is for your body to recover following training and the slower your gains will appear or the slower your gains will actually start to happen. So, because endurance training itself is less physically demanding than a similar amount of high-intensity training, your on-bike training will not suffer during that strength phase. Are you following me here? So, let's, let's take an example here. During the base phase or the late off-season phase, a lot of folks hit the gym and they start doing some lifting. They start doing some compound lifting, some squats, some deadlifts, some stiff leg deadlifts, lunges, walking lunges, things like that. Things to build strength, resilience, and endurance in their lower body musculature. Right? Now, what they try to do is they try to go home after they do one of those workouts, and either later that night or the next day, They try to do a high-intensity interval-style workout, and they find, holy shit, this is really, really hard. My body feels like crap. My legs are tired. I can't put out the right amount of power. I'm not able to hit my numbers, right? They find it very difficult to mesh their strength training and their endurance training together. Lifting heavy one day can really lead to a significant amount of residual fatigue the next day. And that fatigue means that the higher intensity training on the bike will suffer significantly because you're already tired out. So by switching, switching it up so that your strength training is actually followed by that easier endurance based training, you can actually execute a very, very highly effective strength workout and you can combine it with a very efficient, very effective, very, very fitness building endurance workout on your bike while having less recovery time in between them and less overall fatigue placed on your body. How is that even possible? How can that be? How can I go from lifting heavy things to riding with not nearly as much fatigue as I've experienced in the past? Well, it's pretty simple. If you look at the physiology behind endurance training and behind strength training, you simply use different energy systems for the two types of training right and because strength training is the most common form of i don't want to call it secondary training but additional or different training that you would use in that off-season or base phase that's what we're going to focus on here so different energy systems different physiology between strength training and endurance type training the physiology between strength training and high-intensity interval training is actually relatively similar if you tend to go and look at it, right? In very, very simple terms, your body uses energy systems based on the intensity of the work you are doing. So those higher-intensity interval days generally rely on anaerobic-type mechanisms. Uh, We're talking things like creatine phosphate. We're talking about glycolysis. We're talking about things like that. Conversely, lower intensity work, things like interval work, those are generally relying on oxygen dependent aerobic mechanisms, uh, physiology such as the electron transport chain, mechanisms which require the use of fats for fuel as opposed to glycolysis or creatine phosphate or those short duration, high energy systems. So, In the case of endurance training versus, say, high-intensity interval training or strength training, your body will simply burn greater amounts of fat compared to those higher-intensity efforts. Strength training, in particular, the higher-intensity stuff, such as the heavy lifts, the short-volume or low-volume high-intensity work, tends to be more carbohydrate, more short-term energy-reliant. So, it's a simple matter of balancing things out, right? If you're using up almost all of your energy substrates to pick things up off the floor and put them above your head, you're not going to have a lot left over in order to do high-intensity work on the bike. Conversely, if you are doing a lot of high-intensity work in the gym or a lot of high-intensity work on the bike, for example... You're not going to have the ability to repeat that work on a day-in, day-out basis, right? You're going to need to take a bit of rest. However, you can kind of cheat and you can perform some endurance work on the bike because it is a different energy system. It is much easier to accomplish because you do not need to put out that high-intensity work. You following me here? Basically, you don't have two different types of training, lifting or strength work, and on-bike work that compete for the same energy substrate. By breaking up the energy substrate requirements, you can actually get double the work done in the same amount of time. So, with a little bit of physiology behind it and a little understanding, what constitutes a good endurance training program? What do you need to know in order to build an endurance training program that will not only leave you feeling good by the end of the program? but be effective and be sustainable throughout the entirety of the program. Well, this goes back to my earlier comment that, sure, you can do an endurance program that simply ride a lot of miles. I mean, professionals do that, right? So why wouldn't I do that? Well, first of all, I can't ride a lot of miles because I have to go to work. I have work. I have family. I I can't simply take a week off and ride and hope that my patients will come back after that week that I'm not there. Right? Most of people, most of the people that are listening to me have nine to five jobs. Most of you have commitments beyond your nine to five jobs that mean you can't simply go out on a Tuesday afternoon and ride for four hours at zone two. So an effective endurance training program is simply not riding a lot of miles. It's just not possible for a lot of us. Sure, saddle time is indeed part of the equation, and it has to be. For example, if you're going to be doing a, you know, an eight-hour ride, you can't simply ride for two hours and expect that you'll be able to go out and handle that eight-hour time frame. No, it, it simply doesn't work that way. Your body simply can't handle that. But in the, in the interim before you get to that point you can simply use an endurance plan that uses your time effectively as opposed to simply riding a lot. The simple answer here is that adding technique work to your program can significantly improve your outcomes as opposed to just going out and riding but you have to think about it a little bit. So to help you out here I'm going to give you some of my favorite points and some of the favorite things that I love to do in order to help build an endurance training program that gives you more bang for your buck. And the number one thing that I like to do during that endurance program in order to really boost the training outcome here is neuromuscular training and pedal stroke work. Now, I've talked about this in a number of different you know, podcasts, I've talked about it in my crit racing podcast, in my road racing podcast, in my track, uh, training podcast. I've talked about it repeatedly here. Simply pedal stroke work and neuromuscular training is absolutely the perfect training to layer with your endurance training, especially during your base phase. Now that doesn't mean that it's exclusively for base training, but it's the perfect thing to layer during that base training phase. Because pedal stroke work is a low-impact, low-difficulty, low-intensity kind of training. It can be done during endurance rides. So if you're doing a zone 2 ride, so for example, if you're outside, you're doing a 2-hour ride, you can very easily integrate pedal stroke work into that ride without adding too much additional training stress to that ride and stressing your body unnecessarily. right? What do I mean by these pedal stroke drills or this neuromuscular training? Well, the simple thing here we're trying to do is trying to get your body's muscle fibers to all contract at the same time. So anytime you contract a muscle, there are very, very microscopic variations in how those muscle fibers contract compared to the one next to them. They don't all fire exactly at the snap of a finger. There's a little bit of pull between them. The more coordinated that contraction, the more powerful that contraction, the more efficient your body ends up being. So if our goal is to coordinate our body and coordinate our muscle fibers, drills like single leg drills, spin-ups, super spins, things like that can greatly increase that neuromuscular coordination. And that increase in neuromuscular coordination will not only increase your efficiency, it will reduce the amount of training stress your body undergoes for the same amount of work, and it will outright make you faster because less energy will be wasted as those muscle fibers fight each other, and more power will be put to the pedals for the same amount of work. The reason being, your body's only about 20 21% efficient. So, for a thousand watts of produced power that your body produces, Perhaps only 200 watts goes into the pedals, and that's what's measured by your power meter. The rest of that power is actually lost through varieties of body systems. Heat is a big one, heat dissipation, and other body systems. So you can see if you add 1% or 2%, say if you're 20% efficient, you can bring that up to 22% efficient. Instead of 200 watts at the pedals, you now have 220 watts at the pedals for no change in your functional threshold power, right? That is why efficiency is such a valuable, valuable tool, and that's why I love to include neuromuscular training and pedal stroke work into that endurance phase and into that endurance training because that really makes endurance training truly effective, all right? And again, since most neuromuscular efficiency work is endurance-based, you can't do this at a high, high intensity because that high intensity, that high power level will mask a lot of that neuromuscular inefficiency simply by gross recruitment of muscle fibers. You really can fill base miles with neuromuscular conditioning, right? It's basically getting twice the value for the same amount of training time or the same workout. And who doesn't want extra value for their time, right? Isn't that the whole point of, you know, the time crunched cyclist program or whatever that thing used to be? I don't, I don't even know if they still do that, but neuromuscular training and efficiency. That's the number one thing. The number two thing that I love to include into that endurance training program is positional training on your bike. Now, this sounds a little bit weird. I know. Most of you are going to say, well, what are you talking about, positional training? What do you? What does that mean? So think about this. Think about the last time you actually changed something on your bike, and particularly one of your contact points. Contact points, I'm talking about your saddle, your pedals, um, your bar tape, your shifters, your shifter hoods, your handlebar, your stem. When was the last time you had a fitting on your bike? And you went out and rode. And you said to yourself, my God, this feels so weird. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. Well, the perfect time to actually get used to that new position, new pedals, new shifters, new shifter hoods, new bar tape is to simply do it during your endurance phase. Now, I'm a big fan of getting yourself fit a couple of times a year. It's a great idea to get yourself fit in the spring and get yourself fit in the fall because during an entire season's worth of riding, training, and racing, your body will change. And when your body changes, your fit will likely change as well. So if you want to change parts of your bike, your cockpit, your saddle, your pedals, any other component that changes the way your body fits on that bike, do it during your endurance blocks. Don't do it in the middle of the season. Do it during this endurance training phase. You'll feel much better about your position if you have longer to adapt to it, and because endurance usually means longer rides, less intensity, you have more time to adapt to that position. You also have less overall stress on your body, so your body will be less stressed overall, more easily able to adapt to those changes and less likely to become injured because of a change in position or a change in equipment. So think about it for a minute. If you're putting a ton of power to the pedals, the more stress you're putting on your joints and your soft tissues, correct? If your body's not used to that position that it's in, that's going to be an increased stress overall on your joints and soft tissues, muscles, tendons, ligaments, things like that. So the increased stress of that high-intensity workout can much more easily lead to an injury if you're not familiar with the position. How many of you have actually gone out there and either jumped on a bike that you rented um, that wasn't yours but you're borrowing, or your own bike that just had a bunch of positional changes made and you come back and suddenly, holy shit, my knees are really sore, or my back is really sore, or my neck is really sore. You just put your body under a huge amount of stress by changing its position on that bike that it's entirely used to, possibly for thousands of miles, and then you asked it to perform at the same level that you would typically do under your old fit. That is a recipe for disaster. By making those changes during the endurance blocks and the endurance phases, you are able to very easily integrate that change into your body. Your body becomes more used to that position, more used to that change that you've made to your cockpit or to your pedals or your saddle or anything else and much less likely to become injured. Along the same lines, an endurance block is the perfect time to start working on flexibility, mobility, and of course, core stability. Core stability is a huge one. I've harped on it again and again and again and again. So much so that I actually sell my Unbreakable Core Stability program. It's a program I use myself. I put a lot of work into that program. It's a program that I actually developed for the most part to treat low back pain patients. So if I'm treating low back pain patients with this program, its efficacy has already been proven. And it'll definitely work for an athlete as well because even if you don't have an injury, improving core stability and strength and stability is going to give you better outcomes. I have an entire podcast about this. I have an entire blog post about this. I'll link it in the show notes. Tailwind-coaching.com 85. I encourage you to really go and check that out. That's very, very important. So the easier endurance miles allow you to work on that flexibility, stability, and mobility, again, without having significant increases in training stress, significant increases of stress on your joints, and significant physiologically increased stress on your body as a whole. The more you can practice staying in a time trial position or an arrow tuck during easy miles, the more likely you're going to be able to stay in that position at threshold, just above threshold, Or even during VO2 type intervals that are going to come later on during your training program. And in fact, once you actually get back to those high intensity sessions, you may actually find that you will be even faster in that arrow tuck position or that time trial position because you spent time working on it and your body is now very comfortable with working in that position right? That's what I mean by position training on the bike and positional training and why it is absolutely key to perform during your endurance blocks. Number three, I mentioned this earlier, and I did mention that endurance training is not all about it, but it's definitely part of it, and that's building saddle time. And really, I'm not going to be telling you anything you don't know. There's no secret here. The bigger your goals, the more saddle time you need in order to be able to accomplish those goals, okay, this is a pretty simple concept folks and i, I I'll say it again if you're planning on an eight hour ride or for example I, I i had one I had one fellow who actually contacted me recently and told me that his goal was a twelve hour double century with something in the neighborhood of like nine ten thousand feet of elevation or something like that, so not a really difficult climbing ride, but two hundred miles with ten thousand feet of elevation. In 12 hours. If your body is not designed or your body's not used to sitting on the saddle for 12 hours, you will not succeed at that goal. End of story. No questions asked. I don't care how much of a physiological freak or a genetic freak you happen to be. If You have not sat on that saddle for at least 10 and a half hours, and your goal is a 12 hour double century. You will not be able to accomplish that goal. Stop. Period. End of discussion. If you're only training for six hours max in the saddle, your body might make it seven, eight. Maybe nine if you really, really are well-conditioned for that six hours. But your body will start to break down. Remember, your body will only do, in as a performance, what it has been asked to do in training. So if you are constantly overreaching what your body has done in training, you simply will not succeed. That's a sure way to miss that primary season goal of a double century, a 200-mile, 10,000-foot elevation ride all right and as a side note it's also a pretty damn good way to end up with a lot of shitty saddle sores okay so there's a link in the show notes to that as well so just for your edification i think at this point i'm going to step away for one second i'm going to get another sip of coffee and i think it's time for a quick note from my sponsor health iq i'll be back in just a second Hey, wouldn't it be great if somebody rewarded you for riding your bike? Well, you might not get a pro contract, but you can save up to 33% on your life insurance through Health IQ just by riding your bike. See, Health IQ knows the value of a healthy lifestyle, and they use specific science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like cyclists, just like you. It's really, really easy to do, and I've done it myself. To see if you guys qualify for a lower rate like I did, all you have to do is upload your training data, upload your race results, or even just score elite on a Cycling IQ Lifestyle Quiz. They can even reduce your chances of getting dinged for a positive family history or a pre-existing condition if you are otherwise healthy. So if you really want to be rewarded for those hard miles, and I'm not talking about the top step of the podium. Head on over to HealthIQ.com slash Tailwind Coaching or mention Tailwind Coaching to an agent to get more information and to get a free rate quote. All right, now along the same lines as saddle time and preventing your body from breaking down during longer duration efforts, we need to talk about muscular endurance. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I've talked about muscular endurance so many times, you guys probably can't count it on both hands, both feet, and your spouse's both hands, both feet. It's because really, it is the absolute key to an effective training program, especially an effective endurance training program. If you need to train your body for those long saddle time efforts, those long efforts, those double centuries with 10,000 feet of climbing, you need more muscular endurance training, period, period end of discussion. What better time to do it than the endurance phase? Not only do you kill two birds with one stone by building that saddle time that you really need that I just talked about, but you'll be able to work on that muscular endurance and that full body fatigue resistance. So as a quick recap, muscular endurance is simply your body's ability to resist fatigue. As you continue riding at a steady state, Your body continually calls upon the same muscle fibers to produce power and to do work. As you continue riding at that steady state, eventually those muscle fibers begin to fatigue. When they begin to fatigue, your body has to recruit further muscle fibers in order to maintain that similar power output. If it didn't, your power output would simply begin to drop until you couldn't continue any further. Because you're recruiting more fibers, you're utilizing more oxygen, you're utilizing more blood flow. That is part of what contributes to aerobic decoupling. That is part of what forces you to slow down. Your body simply cannot keep up with the demands placed upon it. However, like I just said, your body will be able to do whatever you've asked it to do in the past. Especially repetition of the past. So if you challenge your body to be fatigue resistant, if you're constantly fatiguing your muscle fibers, your body will eventually say, well, listen, I got to start building these things up stronger so that I can resist this kind of fatigue in the future because I need to be able to do X, Y, or Z. I need to be able to pedal this bike. I need to be able to chase my dinner. I need to be able to run away from a saber toothed tiger that's chasing me down. Your body's Response to training is simply an evolutionary stimulus to keep you alive. We're just changing the application of that stimulus. So, the better your muscular endurance, the better your fatigue resistance, the more energy you have left in the tank at the end of a ride to finish up a longer ride. All right Now, why is muscular endurance so good at this point in your training plan? Well... If any of you have actually used any of my training programs, which I know a lot of you have, you'll notice muscular endurance is a basically a main feature in every phase of training that I give you. It's especially prevalent in that base phase because it can be combined with a ton of different kinds of intervals. All right? Muscular endurance, as a rule, is simply high pedal tension and low cadence. Right. You want constant tension on those muscle fibers, because let's face it, if you're spinning at a high cadence, your body requires a quick contraction of the muscle, followed by a quick relaxation of the muscle. So if you're doing 100 RPM, 100 times a minute, your legs are contracting and relaxing. Right. So for one fiftieth of a second. Your body is, well, let me me figure out the math here real quick because I don't have it written down. If you're doing 120 RPMs, right? That's 120 pedal strokes a minute. That's 60 per side. So every second, that leg is contracting and then relaxing. So that means for half a second, it is contracting. And for half a second, it's relaxing. If your body is doing 60 RPM, every 30 seconds that leg is going around every two seconds. That leg is going around. So basically what you're doing is you're doubling the time under tension by cutting the cutting the cadence in half. The longer your muscle is under tension, the harder that interval becomes. Think of climbing a hill, right? Is it easier to spin up a hill with a really, really small gear at say 10 miles an hour? Or is it harder to grind and push up a hill at 20, 60 RPM, 50 RPM at 10 miles an hour? I would wager that any one of you who's listening here is going to say that grinding up a hill at 50 to 60 RPM at 10 miles an hour is infinitely harder than spinning up a hill at 100 RPM at 10 miles an hour. I know. I've done it. I'm one of the idiots who still uses a standard crank set with a 25 23 or cog in really steep hills 10 15% gradients. I race on the track with a 50 14. Sometimes a 53 16 if I need to. Depends on the day, depends on the goal. I've also done intervals at 53 11 just for muscular endurance and fatigue resistance, right? So if you really want fatigue resistance, get your butt out there. And during your endurance training, drop your cadence down, bring that pedal tension way up there. That's how you get muscular endurance and fatigue resistance during your endurance training blocks. And as I said, you can actually combine that muscular endurance with a ton of different intervals. Especially sweet spot training, which is, of course, my fifth and final tip for effective endurance training. And that's sweet spot training. Sweet spot training really is the highest end of endurance training. Well, it's not really the highest end, but it's the highest repeatable end of the endurance work spectrum. It's called sweet spot basically because it is a certain spot within your functional threshold power spectrum that gives you consistent progressive gains while being heavily repeatable and giving you fatigue levels that do not destroy your body. It is the bread and butter of effective endurance training. And it's obviously the last thing that I'm talking about for that reason, because I want to leave you with that thought. Sweet spot training is about 91% of your FTP. And really, you can repeat sweet spot interval training. You can repeat intervals at sweet spot over and over and over and over and over again. Day in and day out without burning out your engine. I've seen people do two, three, even four weeks of sweet spot training five days a week. Without significant burnout. Does that mean you should? Probably not. It's probably not the best tool for you. To be doing that day in and day out. Just that. Because you risk becoming that one dimensional rider. That can only ride at zone 3 plus. Or sweet spot intensity. But the key here. Is it is super repeatable. And it provides significant fitness gains. And it doesn't crush you. Even if you're doing strength training in concert with sweet spot work it's not going to crush you so how do you integrate sweet spot work into your endurance base endurance base training you want to make about 50 to 60 percent of your endurance work sweet spot intensity work the rest should be simply balanced between that lower intensity aerobic work and that higher intensity zone five work Throw in muscular endurance work with your sweet spot training, with your your aerobic intensity. And of course, any remaining balance, don't forget to include that strength and conditioning, that stability, flexibility, mobility work when it comes down to building a program. If you follow that rule, whereas in that endurance training phase, you actually have 50 to 60% of your training at sweet spot, and the rest balance between aerobic work, zone two work, that higher intensity zone five work, maybe once a week. That strength conditioning, core stability and mobility work. And that all ensures that you have a very, very, very solid, sufficient base built when it comes time to drill down into your event-specific training. So when it comes time to start doing those crit- you know criterium-type intervals, your base will be solid. Your aerobic conditioning will be high. Your strength, your fatigue resistance, and your core stability and your ability to repeat efforts will also be significantly higher. All right? That's five ways, five key ways to really work on effective endurance training. So, with those tips in mind, how are you going to go about changing your base phase this year? I just gave you all the tools. To help you build an unbreakable, shatterproof base with which you can actually conquer almost any goal that you have. All you have to do is really plan out one week of training and scale it. Right? Two days of strength and conditioning work. Two days of sweet spot muscular endurance work. One day of VO2 max work with aerobic Zone 2 conditioning in between the VO2 max intervals, right? Take it and scale it. You can figure out the numbers. I've given you everything you need to figure out the numbers. So get out there and start racking up the base miles. Start racking up the hours. Make your endurance training as effective as possible using those tips. And if you have any questions, you have any queries about how do I do this, This is what I'm looking at. What do you think of this, Coach? Don't forget to send them to me. CoachRobDC at gmail.com. Until next time, keep the shiny side up. Keep the rubber side down. Get outside. Get your endurance training blocked in. And start making it more and more effective so that you can hit all of your goals this season. I'm Coach Rob, and I'll be talking to you again really, really soon.